You're listening to Comedy Central. March 22nd, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Tonight is the iconic star of RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul Charles is joining us, everyone. Also, we have some really amazing guests joining us. You probably know this, but this Saturday is the March for Our Lives. And so joining us on today's show, we have five students from Parkland, Florida to share their views on how they believe they can make schools safer. So please, that's gonna be really fun. We're gonna stay tuned for that. We've got a packed show. So let's get into it. First up, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. And I don't mean 2020, I mean 3 p.m. after school. It all started on Tuesday when Biden called out the president over his past crude comments about women. They asked me, would I like to debate this gentleman? And I said, no, I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Any guy who talked that way was usually the fattest, ugliest SOB in the room. This morning, the president tweeted, quote, crazy Joe Biden is trying to act like a tough guy. Actually, he is weak, both mentally and physically. The president, by the way, is 71. Joe Biden is 75. Hoda is so over this. Like, you can see in her eyes, she's like, I did not spend nine years drinking Chardonnay with Kathy Lee at 10 a.m. just to report on this bullshit. And here's the thing, personally, I have no idea who would win this fight. I mean, Biden seems scrappy, but if 70 years of McDonald's couldn't take Trump down, I don't know what can. (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny if Biden saw Black Panther and now he thinks this is how he gets to take over the White House? (laughs) This is gonna be him. I challenge the commander in chief. Each scar represents a time I ran for president. (laughs) Mr. Biden, using that accent is really racist. I'm sorry, I just got into character. And while politicians are taking us back, Disney is doing their best to move things forward. Disney World has reopened the popular Pirates of the Caribbean ride, uh, minus a controversial scene. Orlando's Magic Kingdom debuted the new version this week without the bride auction sequence. It depicted a group of women bound to an auction block with a banner reading auction, take a wench for a bride. Disney redesigned the scene as a chicken auction with a female character serving as the auctioneer. Okay, this is, this is just weird. Why is Disney making pirates inoffensive? They're pirates. Bad guys don't have to be woke. That's why they're bad. <laughs> now what, like all of a sudden your pirates are gonna be like, ah, we're gonna kill you all equally. Ah, <laughs> we shall have no preference based on race, gender, or sexual orientation. Ah. We're murderers, not bigots. Look, our quartermaster is black. (laughs) Sup, Andre? Andre's cool. It just doesn't work. And look, I get it. I get what Disney's trying to do. They want to get rid of problematic themes in some of their stories. And I, I don't think they should stop at Pirates of the Caribbean, right? What about Beauty and the Beast, huh? A woman abducted by a man, held hostage until she falls in love with him? That's Stockholm Syndrome, okay? Yeah, or Sleeping Beauty. They need to change that. An unconscious woman is kissed by a strange man without her consent? Uh, hashtag me too. Yeah. 
That's not Prince Charming, that's Prince Cosby. That's what that is. <laughs> but let's move on. Let's move on to our main story. Facebook has been in the news this week, and the fallout from its data-sharing scandal shows no sign of stopping. In fact, people have even started a movement online called hashtag delete Facebook, which people are using on Facebook. <laughs> which, if you think about it, is like seeing an abstinence video being the top clip on Pornhub. <laughs> That's why last night, Facebook CEO and walking peanut allergy Mark Zuckerberg made a rare appearance on CNN to try and stop the bleeding. What happened? What went wrong? So this was a major breach of trust, and, and I'm really sorry that this happened. Um, you know, we have a basic responsibility to protect people's data, and if we can't do that, then, then we don't uh, deserve to have the opportunity to serve people. So our responsibility now is to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Why do tech CEOs always speak like they're launching a new product? It's like, I'm proud to announce our newest innovation, the apology. This excuses everything. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but look, at the very least, Zuckerberg knows that he's in hot water, which is why he's willing to take his apology wherever it's needed. Will you testify before Congress? So the, the short answer is, is I'm happy to if it's the right thing to do. What we try to do is send the person at Facebook um, who will have the most knowledge about what um, Congress is trying to learn. So if that's me, then I am happy to go. Oh, wow, that's right. Zuckerberg says he's willing to testify. But if I was a congressman, I wouldn't want him to testify. Yeah, because you realize that dude knows everybody's secrets, right? <laughs> if they try and grill Zuckerberg, he can just be like, sure, let's talk about transparency. Every few days, congressman, you click on your daughter's best friend's bikini photos. <laughs> Any more questions? And look, while Zuckerberg's comments may not have been entirely reassuring, I did sympathize with him on one thing. If you told me in 2004, when I was getting started with Facebook, that a big part of my responsibility today would be to help protect the integrity of elections against interference by other governments, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have really believed that that was gonna be something that, that I would have to work on 14 years later. Yeah, you have to admit, that is a weird situation to be in. This guy started out by basically making a hot or not website for his college, and now America is counting on him to protect the integrity of its elections. That's an insane world to be in. It's like if an asteroid was headed towards the Earth, and then for some reason we turned to the guy who invented Tinder. We're just like, Tinder guy, we need you to save us! And he's like, oh, oh, has anyone tried swiping left? Oh, it's my only move! For more on the Facebook fallout, we turn now to our senior tech correspondent and computer owner, Ronnie Chang, everybody. <laughs> Ronnie. After learning that Facebook allowed random companies to access their personal data, is it fair for people to feel like Facebook betrayed their trust? Oh, people are pissed off on the internet? Oh, wow, what a surprise. <laughs> The only people to blame here are the dumbasses who share everything about themselves online. Every day, it's like, uh, look at the food I'm eating, or look at who I'm banging, or look at the food I'm banging. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, but to be fair, Ronnie, not everything people share on Facebook is superficial like that. No, it really is. Like, you don't need to tell the world your relationship is complicated, okay? Every relationship is complicated. Especially when you're banging the best ex Benedict on the East Coast. Hashtag grudge! So I, I take it that you're not on Facebook? 
What? No, of course I'm on Facebook. I just don't care if they take my data because I'm not naive enough to post anything real about myself. If you check my profile, it's just pictures of Iceland and Sunday mimosas. <laughs> I don't even know what a mimosa is, and Iceland isn't even real, okay? <laughs> I just steal pictures off of white girls' Instagrams. Yeah, but, but, but Ronnie, I, I don't get it then. What, what's the point of having a Facebook profile if everything you put on there is gonna be fake? Uh, because it's fun? This is the internet, Trevor. You can be anything. Why would you want to be yourself? Think about playing a game like World of Warcraft. You could choose to be a wizard with magical powers or an orc, uh, orc with super strength, but no, I'm just gonna go into battle as Ronnie, a guy who bleeds every time he flosses. <laughs> it's, the, it's the same thing with Facebook. On Facebook, I'm not a five foot seven Asian dude. I'm six foot five and I'm half black. <laughs> Oh, wait, why only half black? Oh, because I still want to be able to book Airbnbs. You know, that stuff. Is... Well, I mean, that's, that's fair enough. But then aren't people weirded out when they meet you in real life? Oh, what? No, I never meet those psychos on the internet. They're never who they say they are. Well, I guess that makes sense. Ronnie Chang, everybody, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. As we all know, there was a school shooting last month in Parkland, Florida and the response from the students has captured the attention of the nation. Joining me now to talk about where America goes from here are students from Majory Stoneman Douglas High School. Please welcome Elijah, Josh, Kai, Thomas, and Carly. <laughs> welcome, everybody. Welcome to the show. Um, you folks have been at school for a few weeks now post the shooting. Uh, is there a general shared mood amongst the students, or would you say that there's different levels of grief in the classroom. Carly? I think there's different levels of grief, but it's overall supportive. Like, if you see someone crying, even someone you don't know, like, you, you feel comfortable enough to be there for them. Right. And be there for everyone. Is, is that something you've seen post the, the, the shooting? Is it a school as a whole where people have had to go, like, we are suffering through something, we are in pain, and, and at the same time, we have to overcome that? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Not really overcome, though, but more get through it, because... I don't think we're ever going to overcome that completely, but just support everyone, really. Right. It's interesting that you say not overcome, but get through. For many Americans, this school shooting was one of the school shootings. It was, unfortunately, another school shooting. And for many Americans, people say the same thing. I never thought it would happen to me. Uh, Thomas, you are in school, you are living your life, and all of a sudden there's a shooting. Do you in that moment think that it's not real? And were you able to process what was happening when it was, when it was going down? I definitely didn't think it was real for like probably the first half hour until I heard one of my friends was actually shot. So I, I was just thinking it was a drill or some, I guess, yeah, a drill. Right. For like the first half hour of uh, just sitting in the auditorium. And then uh, when I found out, I, it did sort of click that this is real, this is really happening. But even then, like going back, like seeing the school on the news and all that, it's like, that's my school. It doesn't feel like it's my school. It doesn't feel like it happened in my community. Yet, I, I do know that I, I could process immediately that it did happen. Right. And it's interesting that you say that it feels like it isn't your school. Does it feel like in some ways people have taken your school thing? I mean, many people have joined in with Majory Stoneman High. People have gone, this is the story of America. Do you still feel like it's, it's your story or has it become like a national movement? So, partly I feel like it is still our story. 
because it, it did happen here. It's like we see that building every day. We know we lost 17 people. But at the same time, it's like the entire nation sort of taking it upon themselves to better the system and fix right. what happened, like make sure that never happens again. So I, I feel like it's, it's a little bit of both, yeah. Right. When you went back into school, Kai, for the first time, post the shooting, what were some of the thoughts that were going through your mind? Well, uh, like, like Thomas said, I, I couldn't believe that I was going back to, you know, people called us the new Columbine, that, that we actually surpassed Columbine. So to be a, a member and a student in that school that surpassed Columbine is just, you don't want to be that kid. You don't want to be the kid who went to the next Columbine. Right. And we all just had to come together and basically just sit down as one family and all of our friends and even people we weren't friends with sat down together and we bonded. You went from being a school where there was a terrible tragedy and over what seemed like a span of, you know, overnight, you became a message of hope. People were rallying behind you as a school. Elijah, why do you think your school and the students involved in the shooting were able to mobilize so many people towards doing something? That's a good question. Um, I believe that deals with our spirit as eagles, as students here. We have always been taught since an early age that be the change you wish to see in, in the world. As a matter of fact, that is uh, um, lettered on the uh, exit of our school through right. the red gates. We see that every day we walk out. And really, this message has been so ingrained within us and so emphasized that we really wanted to just make a change to make sure that this does not happen again. Right, and that, that's, been, that's been, I think, one of the biggest questions of where to go from here. Everyone says, how do you make this not happen again? And that's where it feels like everyone reaches a deadlock. Even in the school, not everyone is on the same page. Carly, on, on your side, you, you have your views, and a lot of the students do. What would you hope to see going forward to try and stop something like this from happening again? I'd hope to see gun control, ultimately. I don't know exactly how to stop people from being killed, but I feel like gun control is a way to limit the amount of shootings that are happening, because right. it's happening all too often frequently. And in, in, in your opinion, like I said, there's, there's no right or wrong answer, but like, do you have a sense of what that gun control would be? I mean, you're not the lawmaker, mm -hmm. and so I don't think yeah. anyone should expect that answer from you per se, but do you, do you even think, just looking at the information, that you would go, there's something that I, that I think we should or shouldn't have as a nation? I think assault weapons aren't necessary to have in the hands of a civilian, because they're just used to kill people, really. They're, they're not used to go hunting and it doesn't or protect yourself in the case of you need to protect yourself. Right. So I feel like an assault weapon is just not necessary. And I think you shouldn't be able to get guns until you're 21. And also just mental health checks, background checks, just keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people because that's what got so many people into this situation, not just our school, but so right. many other places. It, 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 you bring that up the mental state of people having access to guns. The shooter at your school, one thing that was apparent post the shooting was every single person that was interviewed said, we, we knew this about him. Mm -hmm. We suspected this. It wasn't a case where people said, we don't know why. Everyone felt like they knew why. Could you tell me why you would say that? Is, is there any particular reason people felt like this kid was a threat to everyone else? Um, well, personally, I didn't know this kid, but 
I know that like he, apparently the you know the police were called to his house like something like 45 times. Right. There's so many warning signs. There were two FBI tips, um, and yeah, it so easily could have been prevented. Uh, one of the things that I like support is this idea of uh, gun violence restraining orders. They have it in place right now in um, I almost said Australia. They have it in place <laughs> in California. Right. Um, it's basically it's like a due process way where like someone close to like a dangerous individual can go to a court and like petition them to have the person's weapons removed temporarily until they can present you know new evidence that this person is a danger it's completely due process and it should have you know it has bipartisan support and i think it would have definitely stopped this shooting at our school right it, it's interesting that you're all high school students and now, in many ways, everyone in the nation is turning to you and asking you your opinions on guns, your opinions on gun control. Like, how have you processed this information? Kai, when, when you look at what people are asking of you, do you think that you should be having these conversations? Do you think that you have the ability to have these conversations? Or, like, like how do you process all of this information? Well, I, I think that all the people that have had the opportunity to speak, as well as for those that haven't, are very capable of doing so. Right. We're a very well-educated student body and we represent ourselves as such. So, you know, I, I, you can imagine that it's very shocking that you're going from one moment you're just a regular kid to the next moment you're, you know, petitioning lawmakers and you're marching on Washington right. and trying to affect real change. So overall, that, that whole thing is still very unthinkable. Mm -hmm. and, when you, and when you look at what you've had to do since then, and what you've been asked to do. Do you think in, in some ways people have politicized your pain? Like when, when, when you look at how people speak about what's happened at your school, do you feel like some people are only in it to further their agenda? Is that something that bothers you? I think people are forgetting that 17 people died and they're forgetting that we're grieving in a lot of this. Right. And even like making conspiracy theories about it, like we were there, we experienced it. So it, it takes away from our pain and it just makes it, it takes away from the real topic of what's right. going on. What, what would you like people to be focusing on? I think we can focus on gun control. We need to focus on gun control, but we can't forget the 17 lives that were lost. Right. And when you look at the discussion itself, some people say the solution to this is arming teachers. Others say the solution is restricting guns from younger people. You, at this table, all go to the same school, but you don't have the exact same views when it comes to this. How have you managed to respectfully engage in these conversations whilst disagreeing on what to do? So, personally, not everyone does respectfully disagree. Some people will get into a heated debate, right. but uh, most of us, will, we respect each other's opinions because we all went through this horrific event together. So we, we all know we're all feeling pain. Uh, we're all feeling, maybe not even the same pain. Some people lost multiple people that they love. Right. So, we, we respect that they're going through this. We're all going through this. So we, it's a general consensus like, yeah, we respect each other. We don't want to get into like a heated debate. We don't want to hurt someone's feelings further than they've already been hurt right. because of the events that happened. And if you, if, you, if you look at some of the proposals that have been put forward, are there any that you personally don't agree with, even though you were, you were a part of this? You, you, you have an experience with this. Are there any things that you've heard of where you go like, I, I don't actually agree with that? So I'm not really big on the whole arming teachers. I think if a teacher were to be armed, they have to be an ex-vet and they have to be like super comfortable with 
being armed at a school. I don't think right. an ordinary teacher would even want to be armed at a school just because, first off, they're not comfortable being with a gun in the class after the right. event. And two, I don't think they would have it on their person, so I don't think it would be like really useful. Like one of my teachers was saying, it would be locked in their closet. If a person were to come to the door with a gun, they wouldn't be able to get to that closet in right. time to protect it. It would be pointless to spend the money. It could go to education. Right. Yeah. And, and Josh, on your side, um, like I know, for instance, you've said it actually makes you feel a little bit safer mm. knowing that a teacher is armed. You, you want to have people in the school who have guns because then you feel like someone who comes into the school is less likely to do that because they know that there are guns there. When, when you're thinking through it like that, you feel like the person with a gun in the school it makes it safer for you? Yeah, um, I don't, like, I'm not against teachers having guns. Right. You know, I, I think if a teacher's trained and they have you know, a background and a history with it, they should be able to bring a gun if they want to, be completely concealed. You know, no kid would even know they have it. But I'm more so for having security and police at our school. Right. So, like, teachers really won't have to worry about that. And I do think it is a deterrent, and I do think if something happens, then they can stop it. Like, if you look at what just happened in Maryland, their school, um, <clears throat> school resource officer stopped the shooter before he could do really much harm. Right, and, and if someone said to you, but Josh, why don't we just ban guns altogether? Why don't we ban these automatic weapons? Or why don't we ban handguns? Why does that not connect with you as a person? I think banning guns, um, it sounds like the easy answer, but it's really not. Like, there's 350 million guns in the United States right now. Like, there's absolutely no way that people would be able to, you know, collect, like the government would be able to collect them all. Right. And it's people's, you know, it's people's God-given right to self-defense. You know, I don't agree with just taking that away. Kai, on your side, teachers having guns isn't the, the, the safe space that you would want to be in. A teacher having a gun doesn't make you feel better. Why? Well, no. I, I, and if I'm being honest, you know, I... Uh, I, I don't want to seem like that guy, but you know, me being a minority in the South and having a teacher, you know, have a gun regardless of color, it does not make me feel comfortable. And even you know, when you have, you know, resource officers who are you know taking matters into their own hands, I don't think that lethal weapons have a place in the school environment. And right. if, if you need to have some kind of weapon to, you know, defend people, I, I do believe that it should be a non-lethal option. Right, Elijah. People are going to be marching in Washington, D.C., and in many other cities around the United States. Everyone seems to be marching for one common cause, and that is life. People are saying, march for our lives. But everyone has a different idea of what that is. What do you hope would come from this march? Well, I hope there's a lot more attention to the fact that, again, this is a march for our lives that resolves this multifaceted issue. So I think this march, with people calling upon different aspects such as gun control, mental health, I want people to focus on the fact that we need to prevent something so atrocious from ever happening. This is domestic terrorism, essentially. And this is a multi-leveled issue that requires different solutions. It's not just one sweep all solution. It's not we ban all guns. It's not we fund more mental health. It's an all-out uh, multi-sided solution that right. we require. And be, before I let you go, is there one thing you would want the American population, I guess everyone in the world, to know about you that you haven't seen people uh, convey about you on, uh, you know, on TV or online? Is there something that you feel like people are missing about you as human beings and as students? 
I think they forget that we're still in pain and some of us aren't ready to just go back right into our into our lives into school and like we go to school and there's still media there every day there are people standing outside taking pictures like it's the Las Vegas sign and it's it's still new for us it's only been a month and a half and we're still in pain well thank you so much for coming and joining us I know people will be marching with you you guys have motivated a nation thank you very much for your time thank you one more time ladies and gentlemen the amazing young students from MSD High. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is the Emmy-winning host and executive producer of RuPaul's Drag Race, now in its 10th season. Please welcome RuPaul Charles. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm at home here. You know, we used to film our talk show here 20 years ago. That isn't... It's the very same studio. So you were filming the show when you were, what, five? Well, darling, when you were five. <laughs> no, a long time ago. Yeah, you, long have, time ago. you have been in the game for a long time. You've been successful for a long time. I didn't time. choose the game. The game chose me. <laughs> Many people would argue that um, RuPaul is the reason drag became widely accepted in society. Uh, is that a contradiction in a way? Is that a paradox, drag being accepted? Because in many ways, drag is meant to buck mainstream, right? Yeah, no, drag really breaks the fourth wall. It really says, um, you are not who you think you are. You're actually playing a role. Right. So most people can't accept the idea that they, too, are playing a role. So no, drag, I don't think drag will ever really be mainstream unless people evolved to this place where they are these existentialist uh, gurus. <laughs> well, what, 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 does, what does drag mean for you, though? Like, I, 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 I've seen you say that Money, in many ways. mortgage, mortgage payment, car payment. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it has paid your bills, but it's, it's also done something really powerful in that, like, in many ways, it, it defies what masculinity is meant to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it's a punk rock statement. It says to this masculine-dominated culture, you know, you know what? I'm not going to fit in this box. I'm not going to fit in that box. I'm going to say, <laughs> boxes! Who cares about boxes? You know? That's the only way I could survive this life was to just be a heckler and right. be, have fun with it. You know what? It, 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 everybody takes everything so seriously. They take themselves seriously. I can't do that. I can't, what's in here? I can't do it. Bartender! <laughs> the, uh, I, I would say that, that little moment there is the encapsulation of RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> it's, see what's in this and blah, blah, blah. Um, no, because, like, it's, it's a really fun show, and, and we're living in this world, and it, it's really controversial as well. Like, like the voting in the drag race, like, this, this last season now, people were really uh, up in arms about who got chosen to be the winner. Like, you guys basically brought in your own electoral college. Why did you do that? <laughs> People, uh, you know, all the girls are winners. You know, whoever takes home the cash, that's a whole nother subject. But they're all winners. They're all winners. But there's one winner with money. 
Oh, trust me, trust me. Those bitches are out there right now making $100,000 a night. You know, they are, they are pulling in the coinage. Right. They are making the dollars. And they are all winners. So, you know, but you know, the, the fans are outrageous. You know, they get excited. They get very excited. Right. And so d- it doesn't matter who wins. They're going to be talking. They're going to be wop, wop, wop. Well, ooh, why she didn't win? Oh, she got, and then she was up in there. I said, uh-uh, no, she didn't. <laughs> they always do that, Trevor, right. darling. So it's just okay. <laughs> it's okay. In fact, we have, uh, we have another sh- uh, season starting up. It's already starting up. So they're going to be talking about that one, too. If you could change one perception that people have of drag in the world, what would that change be? You know what? I learned years ago, I can't change the world. I can change my mind, but I ain't concerned with other people. You think I'd be sitting in this seat if I was caring about what other people had to say? Uh-uh. No. I am not, I am not studying other people. Cause other, you know why? Cause other people are crazy. <laughs> They're crazy. They really are. What's in this? <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm glad we both got some. RuPaul, ladies and gentlemen. RuPaul's Drag Race as Thursdays at 8 p.m. on VH1. RuPaul Charles. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.